Hey, hey, everyone, Darlene here, and welcome to the first ever all that is Empath Podcast. <sighs> I'm very excited, obviously, and you're here, so that's great. I'm sure you're excited with us. Kicking off something like this is not only terrifying, but it's exciting as well. So my hope only is that you get extreme value and maybe even a little entertainment out of these hour sessions that we're going to have every single week. And I certainly have enough content to bring you an hour every single week. So sometimes you'll have just me and we'll be talking about all kinds of things like the law of attraction and how you basically are energy that is vibrating and you need to vibrate at a certain level in order to get what you want. Long story. <laughs> but that's something uh, we're going to be covering coming up very soon. We'll be talking about how to avoid anxiety or how to deal with anxiety if that's something that's already in your life. A big one that we'll be covering probably many different podcasts on because it's so important, especially for an empath, is we'll be talking about chronic depression. And we'll be talking about a lot of the reasons why it happens. So you might recognize it before it becomes full-blown and make it much easier for you to scale down. And we'll also be talking about, once it is full-blown, what you can do to slowly work through it and out the other side. So, and, and that being on my mind right now, what I just said, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself for those of you who don't know. So I'm 51 years old, but for the majority of my life, probably for at least 35 years, I struggled with chronic, and I mean chronic depression. Nothing I did was helpful. Of course, I was doing the wrong things, but I was trying and nothing worked. Um, and because of that, I, I wasn't able to succeed in a lot of areas of my life because I would gain some momentum and start doing good and whatever it was I was doing at that time in my life. And next thing you know, there comes the depression and I try to struggle through it for a little while. And next thing you know, it becomes debilitating and I completely lose sight of whatever it was I was working on or doing. And it would all come crumbling to the ground. And those of you who have experienced chronic depression, I'm sure that's a very similar story to yours, something that you're familiar with that feeling as well. So my goal with having experienced that for so long and now being on the other side of it, I really just want to help people with that because I know what it's like to be there. I know how you suffer. I know how you cry. I know how you have so many dreams and wants and desires and, and intelligence and capabilities that are just being suppressed because of that damn depression. And there's not a whole lot of people in most cases, um, for most people that relate. And so they think it's, you know, it's easy. Just, you know, hey, just choose not to be depressed. It's your choice. And while on some level that is true, it's easier said than done. And just saying that someone is not going to get them in there. They will just piss them out to be sick. So I know that. 
I know you. If you're going through that, I get it. I understand. And I promise we're going to cover uh, this topic in a lot of detail in order to help you work through it the way I did. And I, I got to say, I, I'm excited that I have the tools and techniques and tips that I have now that I can share with you to get through the depression. I honestly feel free for the probably the first time in my life that I can pursue something with the belief that I'm going to achieve that goal because there isn't anything stopping me this time. And as long as I keep that conviction, when the little depressing downers come and they will, because, hey, that's life, you know, things do happen. It's how you react to them. And I'm sure you've heard that saying before, you know, life is 10% what happens and 90% the way you react to it. Something like that. So we're going to cover all of these things. And I think they are going to provide you with immense value. And we'll keep it lighthearted, of course, on a lot of because you know, hey, nobody wants to tune in and be, you know, brought lower, right? We want all want to feel better. And even when we're covering chronic depression, I want you to keep in mind that if you tune in in order to receive some value, to learn something, be ready for a little bit of happiness and joy as well, because it's not going to all be about, you know, I understand how you're feeling and poor war was me. I'm going to give you some joy. I'm going to give you some things you can take away with you and hopefully not only help you learn how to deal with it so that, you know, you can get through it, but I want to lift your spirits a little bit in that hour. So anyway, so that's uh, a lot about what we're going to be covering there. And back to my story. So I had a, a very just out of nowhere experience recently that kind of brought everything together for me as far as wanting to share this with other people because life is just too short and we just don't know what tomorrow holds. Let's say 10 years ago is when I started to see everywhere things about impasse. It just all of a sudden started, like went from never hearing of it aside from Star Trek, right? to all of a sudden seeing articles and seeing interviews and seeing TV even. And like all of a sudden, the impasse thing was becoming more mainstream. Whereas if you had said to someone, you know, 10 years ago or 20 years ago, I'm an impasse, they would have looked to you like you're crazy. And a lot of people still do today, <laughs> but it's a lot less frequent. And more people are understanding that there is a lot in the world that, you know, they just don't understand. We don't understand. And it's funny, my brother said something very interesting the other day. Science catches up with what we believe a lot of the time that we keep first. So, and, and that was such a good point. And because I was mentioning to him how now there are things that, you know, we can actually prove the difference between impacts, difference between psychopaths, which we are on the opposite spectrum, by the way, like a psychopath physically in the brain and an impact. And that's unfortunately why they are psychopaths because they don't have that capability of empathy. But I digress. So the, you know, interesting thing is that science has finally caught up with the idea of being an impact and has found proof 
of it of its existence. And I think a lot of the things that we right now don't have proof of, and people scoff at, well, I'm not going to believe that because science can't prove that that's true. Well, that's just right now. Maybe science can't prove it right now. 20 years ago, science couldn't prove that people were impacts, but they can now. So like my brother said, science catches up. And one day science will catch up to, you know, there, there are things that are, that are so apparent when you really study them that even if there is no proof, it's just apparent. You seal it in your soul and you go, yep, I know. Or at least I do. And I know a lot of other people do too. And again, I digress. I do that a lot, by the way. Makes things a little more fun, I think, keeping on your toes. But so anyway, I was finally seen everywhere. This about an impact, that about an impasse. And so I started to read. And then, you know, I'm, I'm looking at things like, are you an empath? And everything was like I was reading about me as if I had wrote it. And it was the, probably the first time in my life I had ever felt anything like that because I had never met anybody who understood my feeling, how I feel, how when I walk into a room, I can tell whether the energy there is good or bad. One day we're actually going to talk about this. We're going to talk about intuition. And I'm going to tell you a few stories, but I've had a lot of experiences in my life where I would be dead right now if it wasn't for my intuition. I've had a lot of close encounters, but because I was able to feel the negative energy, I was able to get out of the situation. So we'll talk about that. That'll be another podcast. Because it started to become so mainstream and we started to see it everywhere, I started recognizing it in myself till I was finally convinced after a while, because at first it started, nah, nah that's kind of crazy, you know, whatever, to more, this is real. Oh my God. This is why I've felt this way my whole life. This is why I walk into a room and I feel this. This is why I sensed this danger in this situation. This is why I shook that man's hand and immediately knew he was bad news. And my whole life, people would just tell me, family and friends included, you're paranoid, darling, you're just paranoid. And I, I started to believe it was true. I would say by the time I was 30, I was convinced I was paranoid. And so I just made a joke out of it, you know, when I would talk to people and I would say something like, yeah, I know I'm paranoid, you know, and I, and I really just started to believe it. And it was kind of just like, well, you know, you are who you are. I'd still feel what I feel. So, and I continued telling my family and friends what I was feeling, but they would still just tell me I was paranoid. So <clears throat> finally, I started to realize I'm not paranoid. That's called intuition. It's real. It's that gut feeling to hear about on top shows. I finally became convinced, yeah, this is, I think, who Elaine, you know? And I kind of left it there. I don't know if it was a little too much for me to process or if I was just too involved with other things or if the depression got in the way. I really don't know, but I didn't do much with it. But every time I did see an article, it would interest me. It was more of a, like a metaphysical interest, kind of like, oh, that's interesting. You know, and, and I would read, I didn't seek it out, but if I happened to see an article or I happened to see a TV show, I would make sure and watch it or read it. Little by little, it started to become more and more apparent. And in seeing these things and reading more and more articles and more and more people writing about it, 
I also started to see that there were options that you could do things to protect yourself. And I think a lot of the time I didn't see, I really didn't specifically see anyone trying to reach out to empaths and say, this is why you feel the way you do. And this is how you fix it. Instead, it was all kind of piecemeal information where some, I'd find some articles about impasse and most of, most of them were about, are you an impasse? They didn't really go into fixing problems that impasse has. And frankly, the problems that we have are the same everybody else has. We just feel them more intensely. So you don't have to be an empath to have intuition. That could be a gift you have, but maybe you're not an empath. Probably you are, but maybe not. Of course, other people can read a room. Some people are really good about reading a room, but they absolutely have no other characteristics or qualities of an empath. So again, you don't have to be an empath, but empaths will feel, feel it more intensely. So for example, if you walk into a room and you're not an empath and you read the room, you watch and you observe people and everybody's kind of, you know, scratching behind the ear and looking around awkwardly and you see the fake little smiles and you can tell, you can read the room and, oh, but things aren't really great here. Not necessarily in a bad way, just maybe it's an awkward situation. Whereas if a impact walks into the room, they not only are seeing the things you're seeing where you're reading the room, they're actually feeling the energy of everybody around them. And if it's an awkward situation, they're going to feel that angst, that anxiety, that awkwardness that each and every person in their own way is feeling. And maybe even other things, maybe they're pissed because they had two parties they could have gone to that night and they chose this one and it sucks, right? So, so, or somebody came to try to cheer themselves up, but they're actually very depressed or lonely. And the empath is feeling all of that as well. So it's very overwhelming for the empath. And when you don't know that you're an empath, you have no clue you're picking up other people's feelings. You're just simply having these emotions when you're in social places or a social environment, even a small gathering of family. And then you're kind of feeling like, what the fuck's wrong with me, right? Because why am I having these intense emotions? I can't even spend time with my family without feeling this or that or the other. And it may not be every time, but maybe most of the time, right? Because if you're in a room full of, say, six people, chances are at least one of them is having an issue that they're dealing with. They could be sad, they could be lonely, they could be depressed, they could be angry, they could be anxious. There's a million things, right? And, you know, we all have these intense emotions. So there's a, a really good chance that at least one in six of those people are feeling that and you're going to pick up on that. And then not understanding that you're picking up on it. You think it's your emotions and you're continually asking yourself, what's wrong with me? And the only thing you know to do is to start avoiding those situations. Then, of course, that brings a whole new set of problems along with it, right? And that's what happened to me. So little by little, I started isolating. I started saying, oh, no, I don't feel well. I, I don't think I'm going to go. And usually it was true. I didn't feel well. I had degenerative disc disease in my uh, spine. And I can have days where I'm in a lot of pain. And yeah, I don't really want to go and do anything. But that wasn't the real reason I was saying more. 
because I've had these pains pretty much on my life and I have managed to go it before, but it, it was just easier than explaining that I felt uncomfortable in the situation. Or even if I, I had a good time, I would be so exhausted when I left that it would take me two to three days to recover. And that's no joke. Anytime I left my house, whether it was for the grocery store, to visit family, no matter what I was doing, it would take me two to three days before I felt normal again, just in complete isolation, not leaving my house for anything. So I started to self-isolate and little by little, it became easier to say, yeah, no, I think I'm just not staying home. And it's just the honest truth. There was probably six to 10 years, somewhere in there, that I literally did not leave my house, not one time. I had groceries ordered in. Now I did leave for doctor's appointments if I had doctor's appointments, but that was it. I wouldn't leave my house otherwise. So that really bad. I isolated. I became more and more depressed. Suicidal ideation is on a constant daily basis. That's just the way my life was. It was pretty much suffering constantly. And I didn't know why. I didn't know why life had decided that I was going to feel these things, be different from everybody else, be isolated, be lonely, be depressed, sad, angry. So I blamed a lot of it on my childhood, and I spent a good deal of time during that isolation period coming to terms with my childhood, which was rust. I had no freedom. I was scared a lot of the time. I really couldn't express myself at all. So I, I grew up kind of very naive because I wasn't really allowed to, to hang out with my friends or anything like that. Anything I did learn socially, I learned in school and I like high school. So I spent that six to 10 years kind of dealing with all of that um, and trying to fix how I felt about it, to let it all go, because I felt that would be the healing process that took me to the other side. I thought if I fixed that, if I came to terms with it, if I forgave my father, if I was able to love him again, that suddenly I wouldn't be depressed anymore. I wouldn't get gloomy all of a sudden for absolutely no reason. I wouldn't wake up in pain and go to bed in pain. I would be free to be social again. And I kind of blamed everything on that. And I, I, I honestly feel I did feel most of those old wounds, but nothing had changed. I still got depressed. <laughs> and I still felt anxious whenever something was approaching where I had to leave my house. I started to think, maybe I'm agoraphobic. Maybe I need to see a shrink about that. Like, I just didn't know. And at the time I was dealing with all of this, I was, well, attempting to work from home, but it was hit or miss. I had a company and I made good money, but I didn't do everything I could have done to make that business successful because I just didn't have as many functional hours as a normal person. And I cut myself that slack because I, I lived, I knew what I lived. Nobody else did. I knew what I went through, but that didn't help me. That was only placating me. So that didn't fix the problem. 
I continue to see things about impasse and I learned more and more. I've learned about the law of attraction and that is very interesting to me. Um, and I did actually even manifest my dream car at one point. So there were some positive things going on in there as well, but I, I wasn't able to early fix myself to where I didn't have to worry about whether I was going to fall apart tomorrow for an event or, you know, it was literally that kind of hood or wills. Um, so, you know, I, I exploded anything and everything I attempted, you know, whether that was a marriage, a relationship of any kind, uh, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a, a friend, just a regular friend. I lived the wood up in one way or another. And it was, of course, always their fault. And in a lot of cases, I look back and I still feel it was their fault. <laughs> but I'm sure it takes two, right? So, finally, my pain was getting to a point where I couldn't do much of anything. I was having trouble walking or standing for more than two to three minutes at a time. The pain was outrageous. Like, it literally felt... Like somebody was cutting me into a chainsaw cutting. I have no idea what it feels like to be cut into by a chainsaw, but I'm assuming it's something similar. Probably a lot worse, but you get my drift. Um, so I indicated that I didn't for a long time. On, on a mental level, I think I did because of the chronic depression. On a physical level, I have been dealing with these back pains, which had become degenerate to disc disease, meaning degeneration over time and usually everybody gets it if you are lucky enough to live that long usually your 60s or 70s you start getting it but when I was diagnosed with it I was in my late 20s and I had already been suffering since I was 20 the first time I went to a hospital crying in pain I, I was 20 years old so I'd been dealing with it for a very long time and I fought it I continued to do what I, I wanted to do in my life to reach my goals. The only thing that really held me back or made me fail at times was my depression. And I don't even think I saw that a lot of the times. I would blame something else. But I, I still got, you know, my bachelor's degree in computer science and worked as a programmer. I still got my master's degree in criminal justice. I still owned, a, owned and operated a business for eight years. I had two husbands that I took care of 100% cooking, cleaning, and they did nothing. So even with my pain, I still did what I needed to do. And then I would, of course, suffer for it. And not silently. I was not a silent sufferer. <laughs> Everyone around me knew it. So, but I still did it. And finally, and, and it wouldn't even take medicine because the, to me, my greatest asset, I was always down on myself for, Physically, it was difficult for me to lose weight or and to be that perfect size I wanted to be. And I was always down on myself about that. Very negative about my self-image. So the only thing I, I felt like was my real asset, was a true asset to me, was my, my intellect, my brain. And I had only even realized my capabilities intellectually in my uh, early 20s. And, just, and was actually convinced by friends of my first husband to look into going to college. And they encouraged me greatly. And I, I still 
shout out to Brian Leslie Millsap who got me to see that I that I was intelligent and that I could obtain more than what I thought I was capable of. So that's when I really started my love for knowledge and I just started devouring knowledge. So I really protected my intellect. That to me was the most important thing that I owned. And so I refused to take any medication. The doctors were trying to put me on Neurontin for the pain. They said, it's nerve pain, you need Neurontin. And I took it one time and spent the evening staring up at my ceiling fan going, ooh, pretty, you know? So no, I was like, no, I, I'm working on a degree. I'm not going to ruin my brain. So I refused to take any medication. I would take ibuprofen, something like that. And I would get through days like that. And of course it got worse. Like, you know, in my twenties, I was able to walk. It was painful by the time I got to class. I would still walk to my classes, all of that. And I went to the grocery store for my husband's and I stood in the kitchen and I did dinners and no matter how painful I did it. But you know, that gets old after a while, especially when it's not getting better, it's getting worse. And by the time I was in my late thirties, I kind of gave up on the whole, I'm not going to use medication thing. It was either my late thirties or early forties. And I finally started allowing the doctors to prescribe me stuff. And I got on Lyrica, which helped a little bit. It not only helped with my pain, it helped my mood a little bit as well. And the pain is still there and so bad that I wasn't able to, like I said, stand or walk for more than a couple minutes at a time. I was no longer capable of walking around the grocery store to buy groceries. Within the first aisle, I would be like bent over my purse, you know, wanting to cry in pain. And by the time I got to the checkout counter, every time without fail, the cashier would say, honey, are you okay? Because my face would be beet red. And I think the obvious in my face was just, you know. So I gave up. I physically gave up at that point. Here I am, probably six years later, and apparently things were getting worse without my complete knowledge. So one day, and this was, I would say that in the April of this year, maybe early May, I walked in along from my bedroom to the bathroom. And I fall just as I'm about to pass the entryway into my bathroom. So I'm just just about to walk into the bathroom. So I actually fall into the bathroom. My, I don't, and I still don't know what happened. I don't know if I tripped on something. I don't know if I, if my knees gave out on me, my legs gave out on me. I didn't know. I just, I fell head first. Yeah, no carpet. It was the bathroom. So on a hard set. But. I seemed to be okay, so I got myself up, pushed myself off, went about my business. A few weeks after that, I fell again. My legs literally just went like noodles. So this happened a total of five times and was getting progressively worse each time. I literally had bruises called to 12. 
And one evening I fell and I couldn't get back up. And it was late at night. I had gotten up to go to the bathroom and I fell. And I was right by my bed in front of the nightstand and trying to use the bed to get, to get up, trying to use the nightstand to get up. Neither my arms nor my legs would give me enough strength to pull myself up. So frustrating. I was terrified. Finally, I just kind of collapsed on the floor and fell asleep. So in the morning, I still, I have no strength in my arm, arms and legs. So called an ambulance and they came and got me up and took me to the hospital. And I found out that I had some herniated discs in my neck that were pinching my spinal cord. So they told me I needed to see a, a neurosurgeon and I scheduled the appointments, but I wasn't going to be able to see them for three weeks. So I went about my business and I'm still walking around at the time. So over the next week, uh, actually it was about two days. It wasn't even a week. I fell again and finally. Or like two days after that, I fell again and I couldn't get up. And at that point, I did call an ambulance um, because it was obvious that I was just going to keep falling. And I was in the hospital like not even a day when a, a doctor comes in and says, the herniated disc on your neck had completely compressed your spinal cord. And if we don't do surgery as soon as possible, you are going to end up paralyzed. As it was, while I was there in the hospital, my hand had stopped working. I, I wasn't able to move my fingers. I had one finger that worked, and that was on my right hand. And I could feel myself losing feeling in the rest, but it wasn't total yet, whereas in my hand. So it was very concerning. A little scary. And of course, I'm like, yeah, okay, let's get this done. So they have to do whatever they have to do, I guess, to plan the surgery. I ended up being in the hospital three days before they actually did the surgery. I want to skip to the positive part. Now, other than when I first woke up from the surgery, so that night, if we skip to the next day, I had many bad experiences until I moved into the they moved me to another hospital for rehab, but I never got angry. I never yelled at anyone. And that's something I would have done in my past. I wasn't sad about the situation I was in. I wasn't depressed. I was hopeful, but that makes no sense. It didn't to me. So once I started to feel safe again, immediately this happiness, this joy came to me. And at the time, of course, I'm being given medicine. You know, I'm just got out of surgery and so I'm being given pain pills. And I assumed at the time, okay, well, this must be the, the drugs, you know. But hey, you know, take your wins as they come, right? So <laughs> I'm super enjoying this joy. That I'm feeling. And I'm being very positive. I'm looking at everything more positive than I ever have. And yet I was in a situation where I could have been more depressed than ever in my life. 
And again, I'm, I'm just thinking it's, oh, must be the medicine. But it turned out that after I got home and I was no longer on the medicine, the joy was still there. And I kept trying to figure out, what the heck? <laughs> what is going on? Because I've experienced a very scary thing. I, I literally was almost paralyzed. I'm still not walking. I have a walker that I have to walk with because I, I don't have my balance back yet. I'm hoping eventually I'll be able to walk without the walker, but I still don't know that I will. And yet that's not a devastating thought to me, I guess, because I have so much other positive things going on right now. And I've kept a positive outlook since leaving the hospital. And all I can say is that that experience really changed my life. It brought all the things that I had been studying over the past decade about being an empath and things that I, I was feeling kind of just brought everything to the surface, all the metaphysical, spiritual stuff that I had been learning, but not applying. And I think, I think there was like a, almost like a push button start in these new cars that you don't need keys for anymore. You just press start. That's what I feel like, like the surgery and this horrible thing that I went through pressed start because I was almost paralyzed. I could have been stuck in a wheelchair. Yeah, I'm having to walk with a walker, but damn, that's better than being in a wheelchair. That is so much better than not having the use of my eyes. I'm a total computer good. And I love being at my computer. I love doing anything and everything that has to do with being at my computer. And to the thought that I could have never been able to use a computer again, the thought is just, oh my God, no. Like to be able to type, I love to type. I love to do stuff on my computer. And, and I was so overwhelmingly grateful that I was able to still do those things. Granted, I couldn't feel my fingertips and I still can't. I feel my fingers, but they feel like there's there's sand in them, like they're sluggish. So I type slower than I used to, but I can still type. And it's very difficult, okay? And, you know, it's not like it used to be, but I can still do it. And that's amazing. I'm so overwhelmingly grateful that I can stand up, that I can move. I was in a wheelchair when I left the hospital. And had a wheelchair there in the house for a while. Super hated that. So even having to use a waffer, it's a blessing. I'm not upset about that. I'm not upset that I have to use a waffer because I'm so grateful that I can that. I'm so grateful that I can sit at my computer. I don't have to be, you know, stuck in a bed or with no use of my lens. Just absolutely so grateful. So it finally all smashed down on me. Like, like maybe in a movie, you would see everything coming at you really fast, right? All the things I had learned in the past about things that I read on a surface level that I didn't implement because maybe I didn't really believe. All of it came flashing in and I finally understood my joy. Great sentence. Being grateful. How many times have I read that being grateful? Write down, keep a gratitude journal, write it down. It changes 
the synapses in your brain and brings joy and fights negativity and all of these things. To me, like, how in the world could that make a difference? That's what I always thought. And I read it and it was just that. I'd left it there. But now that I was so grateful for the things that I still had, even though there were all these, it could just made me think, oh, well, that's horrible that, you know, she went from being able to walk to now having to use a walker. And she went through these horrible experiences with the surgery and da, da, da. You could see all those as negative things, but I don't because I can't stop focusing on the positive of how grateful I am that I can still walk, that I have the opportunity to build my muscles and maybe one day walk without the walker. It's not hopeless. And I can still sit at my computer and do the things I love to do. That gratefulness is what was bringing the joy into my life. It was pure, unadulterated gratitude. And that gratitude is bringing me joy like I've never felt before. My surgery was June 29th. Today it's September 30th. So that's probably the longest I've ever gone in my life without a bout of depression that made me realize that how many other things did I dismiss that could have changed my life? Because I've always been kind of an intellectual and I did do a lot of reading and especially that those types of things interested me. So I had seen a lot of these things and of course I had a a brother who's a philosophy major who said you know, a lot of the stuff all the time too. And it kind of went in one ear and out the other. While I did find it interesting, I didn't challenge anything because I didn't really believe it. I didn't really think that it could work for me because I knew how debilitating my depression was. And I really didn't think a gratitude journal yeah, right. I need a lot more help than that. That's what went through my head. And now, this my gratefulness was able to bring that much joy when I was in a place in my life where a lot of people would have been very depressed. What else did I miss? What else did I dismiss? And I just started devouring knowledge again. I bought book after book after book, anything that had ever been recommended. Anything that was positive, I used to the entire book, and I'm talking big because of Bible book of the law, on the law of attraction. So I could study that some more. I bought a gratitude journal. I started religiously every morning, starting with intentions, affirmations, and, you know, scheduling what I was going to do that day to improve myself. And, and it was always something. I was either watching a force and learning something or reading a book. And I got things like, I got all of Tony Robbins' books. <laughs> That's a story for another time. I'm going to tell you all about how I started to love Tony Robbins and whole podcast on that because it's so good. And I, and I really want to share that with you because I think everybody could benefit from it as well. So we'll, we'll talk about that as well. Um, but yes, I went out and bought all the Tony Gwen didn't go out. I, I ordered some thrift books, by the way, if you're not familiar with thrift books, they're secondhand books, free shipping. And they're usually, I mean, you can get 
really good condition books. Yes, they're used, but they're in really good condition without dog pages, without writing, without highlighting. And you get them for like five bucks. So a $30 hardcover book, you get for $5. Super cool. And you can find most things on thrift books. So anyway, yeah, bought all Tony Robbins books. I've got a couple of books by Louise Day. You'll learn more about her later if you don't, just not familiar with her. The Law of Attraction book, um, Thinking Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Anything that was recommended to me as a good read to, to increase positivity or to change limiting beliefs, anything of that nature. I bought it. Still reading the pile, by the way, but I've gotten through several of them. That's what it's all about right now for me. It's just every and any way possible to maintain and keep the joy that I'm feeling. And I want, I want to share that with you. I want people who maybe have suffered the way I'm having life to be able to feel what I'm feeling right now and know that it's possible to know that you can come out of that chronic depression. You can come to the other side and you can keep it there if you are determined and willing to do the things that, that you should do. And not only you, but everybody should do, even people who aren't chronically depressed, because it'll help in so many other ways. And again, another podcast. So I'll you can see, and, and I was kind of a little bit all over there telling you my story, but I really wanted you to understand where I'm coming from, why I started this podcast, and why I started Embattled Impacts, why I started making online forces, trying to help people. This is, this is what I want to do now. I, I want to help other people not go through what I did. And, and the best possible scenario, yes, I'm going to help people who are already chronically depressed, maybe like me in their 40s or 50s, suffered from it their entire life. Would love to help them get over that and on the other side like I am. But what would be even more special to me because... To, to think to myself, what if I never had to experience that? Who would it be in my life right now if I didn't have to deal with that social isolation and always feeling alone, like I was different than everyone else, that I didn't belong, that I, I wasn't even made for this world. I was different than everybody else. You know, people go and young women who are feeling this way and they're on that same path. If they aren't aware of what an empath is, they're on that same path of becoming me. God, I don't want that training. <laughs> you know, I would love to be able to sit with, with a group of those women and explain to them, this is who you are. And this is why they're different than everybody else. But there are plenty of other people that are like you. And this is how you avoid being with. And that's what I want to do with the rest of my life. So thank you so much for listening to my story. I feel honored that you've allowed me to share it with you. I feel honored that you joined me for my very first per podcast ever. And like I said, we're going to have them every single week. You know, same time, same place, same that channel. So thank you again for joining me. This is Darlene, and I will see you next week.